Um, if you would remain standing um, for a reading, it will not be on the screen, but it goes like this, unforgettable, that's what you are, unforgettable, though near or far, like a song of love that clings to me, how the thought of you does things to me, uh-oh. Never before has someone been more unforgettable in every way. And forevermore and forevermore, that's how you'll stay. That's how you'll stay. That's why, darling, it's incredible that someone so unforgettable thinks that I'm unforgettable too. No, never before has someone been more, oh, 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 unforgettable, unforgettable. In every way, in every way. And forevermore, and forevermore. That's how you'll stay. That's how you'll stay. That's why, darling, it's incredible that someone so unforgettable thinks that I am unforgettable too. The great, <laughs> the great Nat King Cole. <laughs> kind of an odd reading uh, to kick off the service with. But isn't there a longing in everyone's heart to be unforgettably loved? Is that true? It's true, right? There's a longing in everyone's heart to be unforgettably loved. And not only that, there's a longing in everyone's heart to have an unforgettable lover. And I think today's text, if God will be gracious will show us that those things are never going to be met in a person, but are met fully in Christ. We are unforgettably loved by an unforgettable lover. May Jesus be exalted in our midst. Lord, take this text and speak beyond the voice of mortal men and women for sure. And God, as we always pray, would you make the text come alive in our midst, um, go before us, be the thing that saturates our ears, saturates our minds, saturates our eyes for the next 20-ish minutes. Um, And and Lord, I know uh, for those who who doubt that, Lord, forgive them. (laughs) Um, Forgive them for not thinking we'll make it in that time frame. Um, But Lord Jesus, be gracious. Be gracious to us. Make your text come alive. Speak beyond the voice of mortal men. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Well, what a great text that we do have for us today. We've, we've made it in our seventh week all the way to Luke chapter 2. And so we're going to continue in this journey through Luke chapter 2. If you are a guest with us, like I said before, we do go through books of the Bible. And we've been studying Christ's, the, the, or his early life so far. We've made it that far. Um, last week, Jesus went to church for the first time in his life, and, and we thought about that, we contemplated that. Jesus, at his purification, his circumcision, uh, these moments that Simeon and Anna show up and they prophesy about him. If you didn't catch that, go on the website and, and catch it. And I was talking to Marianne just earlier today. Um, and, and if, I do need to say this, so I thank you for bringing that up, Marianne. Um, if you ever want, like, the notes or anything like that, like, maybe it flipped through on the screen, just email me. and Just shoot me an email, and I'll be more than happy to shoot you my whole manuscript. Just, just send it to you. So, that's always available if, if you just like to keep up with your... 
for all the OCD people in the room uh, who have to fill in all the blanks, that is available to you always. So we've been studying that. Jesus went to church. We saw some great things about him. Um, the devout lawkeeper from birth, the fulfillment of the consolation prophecy, the substitutionary salvation of God, the bearer of light for all people, uh, the divine judge of mankind. We, we chew through all of those things in the text, and now Jesus is going to go to church the second time. So this is his, for us. We, he will have gone more than that, perhaps 12 times to Jerusalem, often in his synagogue locally, uh, but for the second time Jesus will visit church that we get a record of in Luke chapter 2. So, With that said, let's just kind of pick back up as a reminder where we were. Um, Jesus is gone. Verse 39 said this, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned back to Galilee, um, to their hometown of Nazareth. So visit one had been this marvelous wondering, if you will. Everything that was said was just marvelous and wonderful and, and all these different things. And the text goes on to say this in verse 40, And the child grew, and he became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So in that moment, now we've got this divine, what's called, theologians call it the divine kenosis. Literally meaning what, like how did God empty himself and grow? Like, you ever thought about that? I mean, how do you grow in wisdom and stature with man if you are God? Well, if you're already God, then you shouldn't grow, right? You should have already grown past tense. You should know everything. And so there's that wrestling of how does that work? And it's a million-dollar question. Nobody knows. Nobody knows how that works. Just somehow in God's power, he just set aside his omniscience. He chose to not know some things. You guys remember this. The disciples said, hey, when is the end times going to happen? And what did Jesus say? I don't know. I've, I've set that aside. The Father only knows. So somehow, in his humanity, he chose to set some things aside in omniscience, but yet he absolutely retained 100% divine knowledge at certain times. You think of him walking up to the lady at the well and telling her her life. She says, I don't have a husband. And he says, I know you don't have a husband. You've had eight of them. And she's like, whoa, you must be a prophet. It's a divine understatement. He's way more than a prophet. So this is what's going on. So he leaves the temple. He continues to grow, as a matter of fact, for 12 years. And now we're going to get to visit number two, which will also prove to be unforgettable. It'll be an unforgettable moment, hopefully, again, for all of us today. Not unforgettable in the sense of, like, going to Disney World. If you go to Disney World, it's quite unforgettable. There's a lot of things going on that you will remember forever. But it's not that type visit. It's more like a horror. Uh, What's the uh, Halloween? It's coming up. Uh, The the houses, the haunted houses. It's more like kind of one of these moments. It is a, whoa, what just happened moment. So this visit's going to kind of be unforgettable in that way. Um, Maybe I could go ahead and say this way if you don't already know where the text is going Um, unforgettable in the way that you'll never forget if you just so happen to leave your child at church and head back home and they're still here. Because that's what they left their child. Now listen, I'm not throwing any shade at you. If you have forgotten your child somewhere and left them, I'm your boy, okay? I'm with you. I'm not, not, but this is what goes on uh, today. So, let's look at these unforgettable moments in this unforgettable visit. So, we pick back up in verse 41. 
Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. This would have been an 80-mile journey every single year. So right off the bat, we're going to have this unforgettable tradition that we're going to see. And so they're going to the Feast of Passover. Now Jesus would have seen at least 11 times, this would have been his 12th time, to see sacrificial lambs being slaughtered at this Passover moment. So let's keep that in mind. Now... His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. So for seven days during the Feast of Passover, Jesus would have went there, and he would have learned catechisms, catechism. He, he would have been, it would have been K-Camp on steroids. It would have been Sunday school on steroids, teaching him, training him for 12 years because... At the 13th year, he would have had his bar mitzvah. He would have had his big test on the Bible. And in that moment, he would have entered into manhood. And so some of you may have studied bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah literally means at age 13, he would have taken up the bar of the law. He would have achieved manhood, and now he would be responsible for following the law on his own. So for 12 years, he's been doing this. He's been thinking about these lambs being slaughtered over and over and over, and somehow, which is why I think Luke brings this to our attention, at age 12, Passover struck him a little different. Something hit him a little deeper when they were slaughtering the lambs this time. Could it be that Christ knew, hey, y'all are doing that now to that lamb, but you will soon do it to me. It caught him a little different this time, which is why I think what happens next does indeed happen next. The text goes on to say this, And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. So now we've gone from an unforgettable tradition to an unforgettable mishap that's going to occur. And his parents did not know that he had stayed behind. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Now this... This falls strange in our ears, doesn't it? So let me, let me let's just address a couple of things about this mishap. Number one, you've got two options as to why Jesus stayed behind. Option A is he was just being a 12-year-old rebel. And I don't think that's the case at all. Option B would be, I think at this moment in his life, he's now overcome with this divine mission. It's, it's indeed hit him differently. He's looking at these lambs going, I'm becoming a man. And he, he, he's retaining some knowledge and it clicks in his head. However, that works again with the hypostatic union of divinity and humanity and the kenosis of setting. I don't know how it works, but somehow he goes, whoa, this feels different. I know that that's going to be me offered up. And he, he stays back. Why? Because I think the mission now as a man is overtaking him. And it's going to this next level. I am here for more than just to be another one of those 12-year-old boys. So in the text, I think this is what's going on. And then let's look at the group. So you might think, because again, it does sound a little bit odd, of how on earth do you start on an 80-mile journey and leave your child? 
But I can't answer that. I can tell you how you might leave your child and you're just going a two-mile journey down the road to Walmart, right? That may or may not happen. But in this moment, we, we think about this, but, but don't let it kind of confuse you because, again, they're accustomed to traveling caravans. They're used to this. Uh, they would go in pack mentality. And, and so um, we are freaked out about our kids walking around Walmart by themselves, like just walking down the aisle. We want them in our hands, blah, blah, blah. Well, that wasn't the custom. They, they all traveled together. They trusted everybody. And so you would have had basically... Um, Oh, the movie Little Rascals. Since we're doing throwback songs, let's go back throwback movies. Little Rascals. You would have had over here in the corner the He-Man Woman Hater Club. (laughs) You would have the little rat pack. And they would have been traveling together with this caravan almost like a Boy Scout group. They would have pitched their tents and hung out and gone on. Well, day three, Mary and Joseph fell, hold up. (laughs) We don't hear our voice of our child. And so this is kind of what's going on in this context. And so they go on this, this journey, and they realize, and they return to Jerusalem to search for him. So we've got an unforgettable tradition, an unforgettable mishap, and then they're about to find an unforgettable prodigy. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Let's stop there. They find Jesus with these profound questions. Notice the text says that. Profound questions being, he's asking questions that they just can't answer. You ever been stumped by your own child? I have. A lot. Um, We have, all of our children ask deep questions. But most of you guys know we do have one that asks questions on a much, much deeper level. As a matter of fact, pretty much every time Kobe calls me, I get a little bit nervous. (laughs) I mean, this brother asks questions that I, sometimes, it's, it's, well, it's just exhausting sometimes. All right, church, I'm going to be honest with you. But no, no, he'll he'll ask these questions, and it's just, have you ever been stumped by your child's questions? Well, they're asking questions Jesus is asking, and they don't have answers for it. It's blowing their minds. But not only questions, notice what the text goes on to say. And all who, heard, uh, all who heard him were amazed and astonished at his, what else? His answers. That is something deep right there. Ones uh, that they couldn't refute. Profound answers that there's nothing they could do. There's nothing they, they were stumped. They, they were debated. Now, here's the deal. When in life you are outwitted with questions or answers, you only do one of two things. When you're outwitted, you either, number one, laugh in submission and just giggle and go, I don't know, you got me. Or, option two, if you're outwitted, that kettle starts turning up that begins to boil in your heart of jealousy, doesn't it? I don't know the answer to that question, and I don't know what to say to that answer. And so I either laugh and go, man, (laughs) I don't know. I admit it, I don't know, way to, way to go. Or it just begins to boil and to fester. Why do I say that to you, church? This moment right here is going to be remembered by these teachers forever in the life of Jesus. So, later on in a couple of chapters, when Jesus is a man and he begins teaching in the synagogue, what is the first thing they do? They go, wasn't that the carpenter's son? 
wasn't that that kid back when he was 12 that gave us questions we couldn't answer and answers we couldn't refute? And it begins to boil in their hearts. So when they say, wasn't this the carpenter's son? It's not just a slap against carpenters as many pastors have made it out to be. It's a slap against Christ. It's we don't know what to do with this guy. It's that guy. It's the one who stumped us. It's the one who cranked the temperature up and began to make our blood boil back at 12. It's that 12-year-old boy. And he's at it again. What are we going to do about this one? Let that sit in your head because as we go through the rest of this book, that's going to come up over and over and over and over. It's unforgettable to them that Jesus is indeed a prodigy. And it's important to remember this. So it goes on to say this. Um, uh, they were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. They're astonished. They're blown away. So again, when Jesus begins flipping tables here in a couple of chapters, now you know why they're going to be a little bit upset. Not just that he's flipping tables. So, the text goes on to this. We've got an unforgettable tradition, an unforgettable mishap, an unforgettable prodigy, and now an unforgettable proclamation. And I debated in my head whether to call it a proclamation or a declaration. So, I'm just going to combine the two. And I think I did um, combine the two as it'll pop up in just a minute. Um, It was a proclamation, but you can proclaim something that's not true. I could proclaim to be Superman. And that still not be true. It's just a lobbing in the air. But a declaration is a declaration of fact, right? So now we're going to have this unforgettable proclamation that indeed becomes a true declaration forever. Now let's look at this text as we wrap up the text today. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? That's Greek for a lot of cuss words, I'm sure. I'm sure they were in there. Right, I'm sure they were in there. It was bad words, and, and then the scribes were like, "Hey, we can't put that in the." You know, I'm just kidding. Maybe I don't know. Um, I, I like to think. I mean, right? We're not Catholic. We don't venerate Mary. She was a woman. All right, um, I, she was probably ticked. Let's just be honest. She can we say? Can we? We have some young kids in here. She was angry. Okay. Um, Stick to the manuscript, Dan. Just stick to it and go. Okay. All right. Son, why have you treated this way? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress, which makes perfect sense. We love our family. We must protect this house. Did you not know, he responds, that I must be in my father's house? What a punch in the throat. Can you imagine Joseph hearing that? Mary, what are you doing? Like they turned Italian all of a sudden. (laughs) What are you doing? I've been searching for you. Your dad's been... We love our household. Your father is disappointed in you. And he looks and goes, No, no, my father. 
is proud of me for staying in his house. Joseph, you ain't my daddy. Whoa. Powerful. That's powerful. And I don't think it was a jab in that sense. But you can't help but believe that that Joseph felt the sting of that. And as a matter of fact, anybody want to guess how many more times Joseph shows up in the Bible presently? Zero. Never shows up again. This is the last moment we ever see Joseph. Don't even know what happened to him. We, we assume that he died because um, his death is never recorded by any gospel writer. You would think that would have been a big moment they would have recorded. Um, <clears throat> And, and, and then also, Jesus gets to the end, and he's on the cross, and he looks down, and he says, Behold, your mother. He just says nothing about his father. Behold, your mother. You know, and you wouldn't give away your mother for someone else to take care of if there was a husband there. So we assume that he's, he's gone after this. Don't know what time, but at some point in his life, he can use to grow. That's not the point. The point is, church, did you see now the massive shift in the book of Luke? Did you feel that shift? This right here is the pinnacle shift of the whole book of Luke. We have now gone, because of this unforgettable proclamation, from Jesus' preparation now to his identification of who he really is. And the rest of the book will flesh itself out. So we've prepared for the one to come. And now we know, in other words, as Jesus says this, Do you not know that I must be in my Father's house? It's him realizing as a 12-year-old boy that, hey, Joseph, you should have been in the house sitting under my teaching just like those other men. And so the shift occurs. Jesus, the divine one, the Messiah teacher, is in our midst. And the text goes on to say this. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Simeon and Andrew, Andrews, Simeon and Anna's prophecy and Gabriel's prophecy, if we go back, was all coming to true right there in the front of them, but they still didn't fully understand. Do y'all catch that? They still didn't quite get it. Perhaps they thought, yeah, he's going to be a warrior Messiah still, and they didn't understand that somehow he was the one to come who would explain all things through the law rightly through the lens of himself and ultimately become the fulfillment of the law for us. They couldn't wrap their brains around that. So, they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them and he went down with them, so fascinating, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. He honored his father and mother. We did maybe one new song for the day. Um, well, it's not new, it's the 90s. That's old. Golly, I'm old. Um, the song Joy and Pain. Joy and Pain, Sunshine and Rain. Um, there's a double edged sword about being the Messiah's parents. <laughs> there's a pride. We, my son, our son, our son is the Messiah. Pride. But oh boy, what a pain. That the Messiah was different from them and would one day be the fulfillment of all things. So he's submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. 
Amazing Joseph didn't treasure that in his heart, right? I got a lot of questions for Joseph one day. If he's a believer. And, and, and I don't know how it works. But we've got to be honest. If Joseph didn't trust in his son as the fulfillment of the Messiah, then Joseph is not in eternity with his son. That's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? All men and women must trust in Christ as the fulfillment of the Messiah to be accepted into a right relationship in the kingdom. That's how unforgettable Jesus is. He's that powerful. Wow. And Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. And, and in this moment, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So the pendulum swings here. The pendulum being this. Sometimes in our attempts to protect Jesus' divinity, we end up with high church, right? So Jesus is divine. He's, he's holy divine. Boom, and it, and it swings over here. Therefore, we have these icons and these idols, and, and it's, the walls are decorated with these high lofty things, and, 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 and you just recite, and there's the holy guy up front who wears the robe, and, and everybody else just kind of kneels, and you don't study for yourself, and, and you don't... Learn Jesus for yourself, and he's just, he's, he's holy other, he's untouchable. It's this high church. We sing chants and, and blah, blah. And so to protect Jesus' divinity, sometimes church can be, whoom, let's make church feel like nobody else can relate. Everybody else just bow down. He is holy other. And that's how we can kind of come up with high church, to protect his divinity. But then sometimes the pendulum will swing way over here <laughs> to protect Jesus' humanity. And so we dumb down church, or we dumb down worship, right? And there's no lofty aspect of Jesus, and it's, we wear the shirts that we like to mock a lot around here. And I pray you don't have one in your, in your, in your dresser, the Jesus is my homeboy shirt, right? We've got, he's untouchable, but then we got, he's, he's my homeboy. And we just kind of can hang out and do whatever we want to do together. And, you know, me and Jesus, just, you know, blah, 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 to protect relationship. There's a relational aspect of the gospel. It kind of swings over here. He's, he's nothing like that. He's, he's just another one of us 12-year-old boys. He can, we can hang together. And so you can feel the tension of that in this. <laughs> he's a 12-year-old boy. Where are you, Jesus? I'm in my father's house. You should be up underneath me. Did y'all feel that? That tension, and here's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is indeed that we get to have a relationship scandalously with royal divinity through his work and shed blood on our behalf. Hey, is he that unforgettable to you? When you came in this morning... Were you exalting Jesus in that way? He's unforgettable to me. I'm stunned that I can have a relationship with him. 
And I'm simultaneously stunned that he is the perfect holy one. And as the perfect holy one, he meets me in my imperfection. So I bebop in this room, not so that I can check the box going I went to church, but I bebop in this room to worship the one who combines the two and gives me a relationship with the Father, yet is royally divine, who is 100% perfect but meets me in my imperfection, who I willingly bow before and say, All hail the power of Jesus' name. All hail the power. Hey, church, if you came in here for life hacks and tips on how to be better, do better, sorry, we can't give them to you. But we can give you Jesus, the one exalted above all, who makes life make sense and who makes eternity make sense. Would you bow and pray with me? Unforgettable. What a a crazy story you have given us, Lord, in your inspired word. (laughs) I think about this, Jesus, the only moment we even have of your life as a 12-year-old boy that you've given us. And maybe that's the point. Is, Lord, I know me. I so often forget your majesty and am so prone to exalt myself and my family and my life when we really are totally forgettable. (laughs) But you're not. So Jesus, thank you for this text that shows us that even as a 12-year-old boy, the Passover lamb who was teaching men and women who were slaughtering literal lambs and little did they know that you were the sacrificial lamb was in. They didn't know you were in their midst, Lord. To fulfill the longing desire of all of our hearts to be unforgettably loved by an unforgettable lover. So Lord Jesus, in the remaining time that we have, would you be gracious? To make yourself more marvelous in our midst. Jesus, it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.